Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined as always by David Lake. Hurricanes just wrapped up a bye week, which means that ACC play is about to get underway for Manny Diaz and his squad. Well, I should say the chunk of that schedule. Miami hosting Virginia Tech this weekend at Hard Rock Stadium in a game that's going to kick off at 3.30. Uh, David, how excited are you for this uh this game against the Hokies. I mean, we had we had a bye week. It seems like it's been a while with this team. Um, just kind of yeah. playing out. It's like, you know, it's start, stop, start, stop. And, and they're finally going to kind of get back into this thing. Yeah, it'll be good to, to get in a rhythm. They got six games in six weeks. And, you know, personally, I'm tired of talking or thinking about the 17 to 12 Central Michigan uh, disappointment win. So... You know, I I think it'll be a good chance for Miami to put that win behind them too. Uh, you know, we'll get into it here, but Virginia Tech certainly looks vulnerable and weak going into this game. Well, let's kind of just start at the top. You you said we're talking about all this talk, and I feel like all we do is talk, talk, talk. Uh, but Manny Diaz said on I think it was Monday that he felt like uh, Miami's practice on Sunday was their best Sunday practice of the season. I think he said on Wednesday that there, it was their best Tuesday practice uh, of, of the season. So are you buying into this? Is this motivation factor or what? Or do you really think things are finally clicking uh, for everyone in Coral Gables? Yeah, I think we'll know Saturday, right? I know, I know the week before, so during the bye week on a Wednesday, Manny came out and said that they had their worst practice of the season and things didn't go well. And, and I do think to some extent that's kind of the easy thing for a coach to do is, is you know, try and get a team motivated during a bye week by making them think they're not practicing up to the standard. So I guess things are better this week now. And, you know, I'll take Manny at his word. I think when you do say something like that, it needs to show up on the field on Saturday, because if that's not the case, then fans and media are going to wonder, well, if you had such a great week of practice, why didn't it translate to the game? So we will see Saturday. You know, we're still learning about what Manny is like as a head coach and, and what he will tell us publicly, whether things turn out to be true or not. So I think bottom line, we'll just find out on Saturday. Yeah, I kind of wrote that uh, on our site, Miami.247sports.com. I wrote in a little column of sorts that I don't think this is exactly coach speak in the sense that I have heard from other people inside the facilities that they feel like this has been Miami's best string of practices. But at the end of the day, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, they have to come out and prove it against Virginia Tech. Um, I think they've come out flat multiple times this season. We've, we've talked about that that North Carolina game. Uh, uh, essentially anything after the first drive against Central Michigan. So they can say it's been going great all they want, but unless they come out there and and step on their throats and and go pedal to the metal, I mean, does it really mean anything? No, it doesn't. And especially, you know, after that 17-12 to 12 win, like whenever I say it, I, I always want to say loss, but Miami did win the game. They beat Central Michigan. Um, you know, they need to put that game behind them. And they need to have a good performance, honestly, going into next week's game against Virginia because that game, I mean, we're looking ahead, but that game is probably going to decide the Coastal Division. Um, so this this Virginia Tech game, it's important to not only play well and win the game, but you got to look good too, in my opinion, because Virginia Tech, 
simply is not a good team right now. Right. We'll get into the Hokies here uh, in the next couple of minutes, but I just wanted to talk a little recruiting uh, real quickly, just kind of start the show off with that. Miami's coaches were out on the road uh, this past Friday. Um, I think pretty much the entire staff was out on the road. I mean, I reported all of the, on, on all of them being out on the road. I was up in Jacksonville, ran into Manny Diaz. He was at uh, the same game as me. He was uh, at Oak Leaf taking on Jacksonville Sandalwood. So that was Chance Williams uh, and Jalen Rivers, two of Miami's highest ranked commits taking on Jeff Sims, uh, the FSU uh, quarterback commit. I wrote a bunch about it, had some highlights up, but I think Chance Williams uh, is an absolute stud of an edge rusher. I mean, he was a 4-5-4 guy in the 40-yard dash. Um, really liked him in the spring. Then he went to the opening finals. Flashed his upside, but I think he kind of was overwhelmed a little bit, just got caught up in the moment, wasn't the best of performances. So I was really eager to see what he looked like in pads, and I thought he was an absolute dude. I mean, he was going up against Kobe Baines, who was a Louisville offensive line commit for pretty much the first half, and then Baines got, ended up getting hurt. But uh, he was consistent pressure on Jeff Sims, easy to see why Miami wants him. Jalen Rivers, the offensive lineman, uh, he started off at left tackle, uh, a lot of fans have asked me if I think he can get it done there at left tackle. I think he's probably an interior guy or a right tackle, and I know a lot of people are going to moan and groan about that. But at the end of the day, I mean, Miami has what they think is probably their left tackle, the future on the roster right now in Zion Nelson. I know there's been plenty of growing pains, but uh, I think you need to get offensive linemen like Jalen Rivers on the team, and I think he's a good one. I mean, since I've been down here on this Miami beat, which is about three, four years now, uh, he's he's right up there with Delon Scaife and Devon Donaldson in terms of what I saw at the high school level in pads in a game. So uh, I think those are two very good gets for Miami and two guys I think they're going to hold on to. Uh, you know, I, I talked to both after the game. They're both going to be at Hard Rock Stadium this weekend for the game against Virginia Tech. And um, they seem to not be too concerned with that two and two start. How does uh, Jalen compare to? Navon, in your opinion, because body type wise, there's some similarities there. Um, what are your thoughts about how they both looked at the same stage of their development? So I've kind of compared them and I wrote this on our message board. I've said it's kind of like a uh, if you took if you took Scaife's like lower body and footwork and then paired him with Navon Donaldson's frame and kind of punch, that's 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 how I would describe him. So he's, I think he's a combination of both. Not saying he's better than both of them, but um, it's kind of a mix of those two. If you guys are doing, if you're doing like a creative player on uh, Madden or something like that, so um, I think he's a little more athletic, or, or or he's got a better lower body, I guess, than Navon Donaldson. I think Navon. I've always thought he plays pretty high, and I and that's going back to his high school days. And then I don't think he's as much of a natural. Um, uh, bender as um, Delonscape, but I do think he's a guy that will probably have a chance to come in and play right away. I mean, he's planning to enroll early. Um, he's flashed his potential. I'm really eager to see him in the Under Armour All-American game in a couple of months before he does arrive in Coral Gables, just because I think that's normally a good indicator. I mean, Cleveland Reed didn't really flash his potential uh, when he was in that, in that same game in, in that week of practices, and look at him now. I mean, he's already... Uh, left Miami and entered the transfer portal. So um, I, I think Miami fans should be excited about Jalen Rivers. And then the other thing I want to get your thoughts on. So you mentioned they played against uh, Jeff Sims, FSU's quarterback commit. Just what were your quick thoughts on him and maybe 
how does he compare to Miami's quarterback commit, Tyler Van Dyke? Do you feel like one's better than the other? Or what are your thoughts there? Well, I mean, I'm a Jeff Sims kind of, I don't know, like truther. I think he's hes pretty talented. I mean, we, I know, David, you've seen him on the camp circuit uh, in the seven-on-seven circuit. And, it, and it's been really the same story with him, I don't know, for the past eight, ten months now. I mean, when he he makes some throws, you're like, holy like that was a dime. Like I mean, he 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 can he can put he can put a ball pretty much anywhere. But then there's other times where it's like, what are well, like what are you doing? And I just think um, he needs the right coach to kind of corral him. Uh, I thought in that game against Oakleaf, he was under a lot of pressure, uh, so he 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 tucked and and, and ran a bunch. Um, you know, there was a lot of times where he made one read and then just took off with his feet. So uh, I think he's pretty talented, but. Um, at the same time, he makes a lot of erratic decisions, similar to like a Nikosi Perry, similar to kind of like a James Blackman. I would compare him kind of to uh, a, a, a more polished James Blackman coming out of high school. That's kind of how I would compare him. Now, do, is he better than Tyler Van Dyke? I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen Van Dyke in, in, in pads. I, I don't think Van Dyke's also going up against a Chance Williams. I mean, I know he's played some talented teams up there in, in Connecticut, but I think from a system standpoint, Tyler Van Dyke fits more of Dan Enos's. And I will say, uh, I know one thing that Miami really does like about Tyler Van Dyke is his leadership qualities and his body language and, and how he handles that quarterback position. Uh, I think, my, by my count, I had I, I thought Sims tossed two picks against Oakleaf, but then I was reading the stats in the newspaper, and they only said he tossed one. So maybe, maybe something happened. But after one of the picks he threw, I mean, he kind of just put his head down and then went right over to the bench and... Um, I know there's some people in Coral Gables and, and on staff at Miami that are really looking for leaders at that quarter sh- quarterback position, just kind of given how things went last season. I think Tyler Van Dyke might have a little bit more leadership skills uh, than Jeff Sims. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, I think both guys are talented. Both guys have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, but it seems like, in general, both guys are similar talent levels. Is that fair to say? Right, right, right. I think when... Um, Miami missed out on, on, on Carson Beck and then Jeff Sims, um, you know, announced he was going to Florida. A lot of people thought my, or Jeff Sims announced he was going to Florida state. Excuse me. A lot of people thought Miami were like, Ooh, you know, uh, you know, now they're going to plan C. But I think as we've kind of moved on and we've gone through the elite 11, um, these kids have played a couple of games now. I mean, Carson Beck's not having the best of years at Jacksonville Mandarin. It's like, Hey, maybe Tyler Van Dyke's on par with these guys and, there's really not that much of a, of a gap in the, between the two talents, and they're pretty even in the rankings. Was there anything else interesting that came out over the bye weekend in terms of recruiting? Yeah. Um, Miami offered Damon Hill, a, uh, a defensive back from, my, or from Palmetto, excuse me, not the Miami Palmetto uh, down here in Dade County. This is a Palmetto on the other side of, of the coast. Uh, they offered him a scholarship. Um, some sites have made it seem like he's going to commit right now, but um, from what I've gathered, they are still trying to not find space for him. But the, if he's going to be in this class, some other things need to happen. So they think he's a guy who's pretty talented. But um, I thought it was interesting that they have that, that they did expand that uh, defensive backboard because I just think it shows that Miami's not is preparing for maybe life after Jaden Francois if something were to happen to him. I'm not saying something is going to happen, but. Um, with him looking at Florida and Ohio State and Penn State, I think uh, they don't want to be left empty-handed at the altar once again. So they are going to uh, continue recruiting other defensive backs. One other thing I want to get into, I think it 
it brushes up against recruiting as well is this new the California play pay to play or play to pay I don't know which way it is but the bill that was passed in California that will um, you know pay college college athletes uh, they they have the opportunity to make money off their name image or likeness um, you know to make make things clear this isn't a situation where the NCAA will have to pay or the schools will have to pay uh, college athletes out of their pockets it's simply third party businesses opportunities that will you know have athletes kind of endorse their product or whatever um, you know this this California bill wouldn't take effect until 2023 but really the point of it is it uh, speeds things up from the NCAA perspective. So the expectation now is for the NCAA to put together some sort of idea to address this, maybe even by the end of October, at the end of this month, and kind of have a, a plan to address this because now more and more states, I think Florida even is putting this uh, to vote for a, for a bill here, maybe even next spring. Um, so yeah, I guess from a recruiting perspective, Andrew, what what do you think this might mean? How would it do you think it would help Miami? Would it hurt Miami just in general? What what do you feel like this could mean for Miami if this if this kind of stuff happens uh moving forward? Well, I think you I you are right. There is a bill or a proposed one for Florida, and I think the number as of this morning, what is it, 12 or 13 of them. Um, so I, I think this is something that's probably going to happen. I mean, I'm not really as versed in it. I know we were texting about it. My thing is, is at the end of the day, how many of these prospects does it really um, impact? I mean, how many guys are really going to be able to market themselves and, and, and get dealership deals or, or deals where someone's paying them? Uh, I think that number is probably pretty small. I mean, how many guys at Miami uh, right now is some outside business going to want to uh, put on a commercial and whatnot? And whatnot. I mean, I think there's probably only a handful of guys. So um, I do think what's what's interesting is that Miami's not um, a college town. I know it's it's more of a a pro city, and I think that and in, in that regards, it could kind of help uh, Miami out. I know. We mentioned it uh, before the season. I mean, when Trayvon Hill told us he picked Miami, it was because it's a, a it's a pro city and it's not a college town. And I think um, just from that from that standpoint, I think there's a lot of opportunities as opposed to uh, some of these towns and SEC schools. And um, if, if businesses are going to play or excuse me, pay uh, some endorsement deals for some of these different kids, I think uh, it would make it easier for some of these local recruits maybe to stay home. Uh, instead of going uh, out of state to an Athens or or to a Tuscaloosa, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think I'm with you in terms of like how many guys are really going to get paid six figures plus around the country. I don't think it's going to be that much, but I do think the potential is there for a lot of guys to maybe make I don't know ten to twenty thousand in a year. Which you know, look, it doesn't sound like a lot, of course, to adults that have a career and make a living. But, you know, go back to when you were a freshman in college. If you could make an extra 15 grand in a year, that would go a long way, right? I mean, it, it's still money that can help these guys, 
you know, be comfortable or, or, you know, be compensated in general for the work they put in with football. And yeah, I think, look, when you, I, I would look at, if I'm Miami, I want this to happen because like you said, Miami will have big city resources behind them. And I think we've seen, you know, through these first, what, 10 months now where Manny's been on the job, he is a forward thinking coach. So, you know, if this thing does happen and gets pushed through, my assumption would be Manny will will make sure the athletic department gets behind this and makes it something where they are progressive about, you know, they're going to, so right now there's a lot of people in the athletic department that are fundraisers, right? And that's for scholarships, that's for facilities. I think now part of their job, if this stuff goes through, is going to have to be lining up local businesses to present these opportunities to their players. And I think as the, this ball gets rolling, I think schools like Miami would be wise to kind of get out in front of this and, and kind of be one of the early, early schools to really make this a priority. Um, and, you know, look, you touched on it too. Like, um, I think you could also, there's, there is going to be, um, only so much money to go around, right? For, for, from local businesses. Um, so if you look at it, like if you're looking between Alabama and Miami and you're a four-star recruit, right? Would you, do you think you would make as much as the 25th four-star in Alabama's class? Or could you potentially make a little more money as the seventh or eighth, uh, rated four-star in Miami's class. So I think in that sense, it might spread the wealth around a little bit more, not much. I mean, I, I still think the top programs are still going to be the top programs, but I think the talent could potentially be spread a little bit more. Do you think that's crazy? Yeah. And I think you bring up another good point here. Um, I think the, the market value, the free market will, will establish this. Eventually, you know, let's say Jaron Williams was, uh, doing uh, commercials for a car dealership down here. At, at some point, someone is going to realize, hey, we, we shouldn't pay this guy X amount of dollars because he's really only worth this amount of dollars. I think there's going to be a, there would be a wild wild phase, and then would kind of all correct itself. But um, something else I was I was thinking about. You mentioned uh, if you're the, a player at Alabama, you know, sure, like uh, it's going to get to a point where I, I think boosters at Alabama are going to be like, hey, why are we paying for these kids if they if they all don't pan out? I mean, um, right. you know, there's there's a lot of big time guys that go to Alabama and don't pan out. It's not like all 25 of their uh, elite guys go there and, and work themselves out and, and make the league. I mean, there's guys that transfer out of there all the time. So I think if you're smart about it, um, you, you know, and, and you believe your evaluation is correct, then absolutely Miami would make. A, a ton of sense. I mean, like take a guy like Brevin Jordan, like, Hey man, you come in from Las Vegas, you will be, um, the face of our program. I think in that, in that sense, uh, Miami would have a lot to offer. And honestly, like, like, you know, I, I know like the car dealership thing is probably an easy way to go to in terms of making money. But I think, I think the future is like, you know, these guys all have their own Twitter accounts now and their own, you know, Instagrams and YouTube channels. And I think that's the future where they're like, you know, quote unquote influencers. And, you know, Miami would line up companies here and there to have them 
endorse these products on their Twitter feeds or Instagram feeds. And, you know, look, as we alluded to earlier, the NCAA is going to put together some sort of legislation and we'll have a much better idea about what the rules will be within all this stuff when they do. Um, so right now it is pretty wide open. Um, but yeah, and I think too, it's also worth noting, this could also help Miami on the back end as well in terms of, you know, let's say you're a junior and you're looking at the NFL draft. Um, would Miami be able to put together some sort of likeness endorsement package uh, that could tempt a junior that, you know, might be picked in the fifth, sixth, seventh round? Uh, could Miami put together some sort of package to entice that player to come back for another year? I think that's something that would help Miami as well, because, you know, as we've seen this past decade, you know, guys are certainly willing to leave if they are fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks at Miami. So I think that's another positive too. One final thing, just because I don't want to, I don't want to go on and on about this, but I do think it's definitely something worth discussing because I, I haven't seen anyone else kind of bring it up in, in, in the case of Miami. Uh, you mentioned the influencers thing and, and guys uh, growing brand. I, if I do recall correctly, Manny Diaz did bring in, um, I don't know, some service to talk to the team back there in the spring months kind of about being your own brand. And um, they yeah. brought that up a lot in recruiting two guys. I, I know Michael Redding has brought that up. So I do think Miami um, would be proactive just because we've seen kind of some of this in the past. I think... Being a forward, forward-thinking program in this situation is going to help, and I think Miami under Manny Diaz has shown that. You know, look at how he attacked the transfer portal. Diaz has shown thinking and kind of used these new things to his advantage, and so I would expect that whenever this stuff, you know, gets passed or or is. Um, a part of the way things are going to be. I think Manny will use it to Miami's advantage. All right, let's kind of shift some gears to uh, this upcoming Saturday's game against Virginia Tech. Let's start like we always do with the opposing team's quarterback situation, or I, normally it's quarterback, I should say now it's quarterback situation. Sounds like the Hokies aren't really sure who they're going to start at quarterback. Uh, uh, I think Justin Fuente said uh, there's a chance three different guys could play. Um, David, what are you expecting? Uh, what's kind of the latest there? Man, honestly, I'm, I'm still expecting it to be Ryan Willis. I know, so the, the deal is Ryan Willis and Hendon Hooker are both dealing with, with injured shoulders, right? So Yeah, that's and what... The, and those are their top two guys, right? And so the, the thinking would be maybe they see Quincy Patterson, who is healthy, but Clearly, in my opinion, the worst of the three. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, he's a former Elite 11 quarterback. Um, it was He was featured on some show. I don't know what it was. I mean, easy kid to, 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 to cheer for and pull for. He's got a good stories from, like, the Chicago area. But, yes, he is – Was when he was at the Elite 11, he was by far um, the bottom of the barrel. And yes, so, so. I, I would expect either, you know, Ryan Willis – I would expect to see both, to be honest. Ryan Willis and Hendon Hooker. And I think Justin Fuente will go at the hot hand. And in my opinion, that will probably end up being Ryan Willis because I still think he is, you know, I'm not a huge Ryan Willis fan. I don't think he's like overly talented, but I do think he's the best passer of the three. Clearly, Hendon Hooker is a pretty good athlete. You know, he, he keeps you honest with his legs. 
Um, but as a passer, he's he's got a long ways to go, in my opinion. Um, so I would expect to still see Ryan Willis. And I think what Fuente will do is just try and manage the game, get the ball out quick, make sure he doesn't get hit much. Um, so that's kind of what I I expect to see. I, I, I mean, I have no idea who they're going to play. I will say, um, back in my days of covering Notre Dame, uh, Hendon Hooker was actually a quarterback that the Irish were going after. Uh, they ended up, I think, going with Ian. They shifted their focus towards Ian Book, who's obviously now their starter now. Uh, but the knock on Hooker at the time is he wasn't the most accurate of passers. So uh, I don't know. Regardless who, of who I they put out there, I think they're going to try to run the ball a lot um, and, and just really kind of manage the game, like you said, which I think if you're Miami, that's exactly what you want them to do. I mean, um, what we've seen all season long is Miami. If Miami has troubles, it's not defending that slot or uh, in, in the secondary. So I would expect Miami should have the advantage um, on defense just because of the uncertainty at quarterback. Yeah, two, two things with that. So Miami's been really, really good at stopping the run. And Virginia Tech's run game is not overly impressive. Like their running backs aren't physically impressive to be honest like they're smaller guys who a little are a little shifty but they don't really scare you so you're right that does that definitely feeds into Miami's strength and kind of what they want to do um let's talk about the player Miami should be most concerned with on Saturday who do you got uh for that who's you've been pretty spot on these episodes or these preview podcasts so who, who who should everyone be concerned with so I'll go with um, I'll go with Virginia Tech wide receiver Damon Hazelton. So he's a guy who last year was their leading receiver. He's a six foot two, 215 pound type guy who's really good at winning those 50 50 battles in the air. Um, very good jump ball guy. Um, he had been injured through the first three games of the season, dealing with the hamstring injury. He made his season debut last week against Duke. Um, didn't play too much, but he did score a 70-yard touchdown in garbage time. It was Virginia Tech's only touchdown against Duke in that game. Um, so last year he had like 800 yards and eight touchdowns. He's a guy that like, I don't think Virginia Tech has many overly talented guys, but in my opinion, he is a guy that could be a game breaker. Now we've talked about Virginia Tech's quarterback situation, and that will make it tough for Hazelton to to have a big day. But in my mind, he's a guy that you do need to key in on and limit because if if you can limit him, then I just don't see many answers for Virginia Tech's offense this week. Yeah, I I, I had another guy, um, Hezekiah Grimsley as. Uh, the, the, the player Miami should be most concerned with. He's another wide receiver. Uh, I think he's their guy that primarily works out of the slot. He had a, a long touchdown against uh, Boston College there. So it kind of just goes along with what you said. I mean, what we've seen Miami struggle with is kind of the in coverage. So with us not thinking that they're going to be able to run the ball, it's going to come down to the strikers covering Hezekiah, um, the safeties helping out, and I think if they're able to shut down those guys, then again, I just think it's going to be pretty difficult for, it should be pretty difficult for Virginia Tech to just score points and move the ball in general. 
Yes, I agree. You know, personnel-wise, they're not impressive, and just execution-wise, they're really not getting it done either. So, I agree. Let's shift gears over to uh, the key matchup for this game. For me, um, you know, we just talked about everything that Virginia Tech does on offense and how the personnel is not great. I don't think the personnel Virginia Tech has on defense is elite in what we've seen in the past, but I do think they have a very good defensive coordinator there in Bud Foster, uh, and he's going up against Dan Enos. I think that's normally we kind of highlight two players here, but I think the matchup of the game for me is Dan Enos versus Bud Foster. Um, Bud Foster right now, you know, pro football focus has the Hokies with the second best pass rush in the ACC. That's ahead of Miami. Um, they have 72 pressures this season, the 20th best sack rate in FBS, uh, according to Football Outsiders, which is better than Central Michigan, who comes in at 88. And we all saw what Central Michigan did uh, to Miami's uh, offensive line. So I think I'm interested to see what type of game plan does Dan Enos go with. Uh, it Does he anticipate that fr- uh, the front seven giving Miami's offensive line issues? Do they go with quicker throws? I mean, I think it's more of a sch- schematic chess game for me. I'm interested to see because I think Bud Foster is going to dial up some blitzes and and do what he can to con- confuse Jaron Williams and those young offensive linemen. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. I think in general, I'm not impressed by their defensive line. I think they get most of their pressure by blitzing, as you alluded to. So I I think they need to key in on the linebackers and you know Virginia Tech plays a striker type position on defense too that they'll blitz. Um, you know, I think I looked at their two games. So they've played against Duke and Boston College. Those are the two Power Five games that Virginia Tech has played this year. Uh, they lost both those games. Uh, and, you know, to be honest, the pressures and the sack totals against those teams weren't overly impressive. So against Duke, Virginia Tech had 12 pressures and zero sacks. And against Boston College, they had 10 pressures and one sack. So they did they did rack up a ton of pressures and sacks against Old Dominion. I think they had like 35 pressures against them and seven sacks. But clearly that's a lesser opponent. That's a group of five opponent. So I guess what I'm getting at is I'm, I'm not sure Virginia Tech's defensive line is all that scary. Um, you know, just body type wise, they're not overly impressive. It's a lot of Six foot one guys that are in the, you know, 250 to 280 range. Uh, Just not guys who can necessarily wreck an offensive line. With that being said, I don't necessarily trust Miami's offensive line. So there is that. Uh, But yeah, I mean, quite honestly, like this is a hot take for you. I would probably take Central Michigan starting four on the defensive line over Virginia Tech's starting four on the defensive line. I do think... Virginia Tech has better depth on the defensive line, but in terms of just starters, I would take Central Michigan. So in my key matchup, I'm going on the other, just flip it, flip the teams. I'm going Miami's D-line against Virginia Tech's O-line. And the main reason is because Virginia Tech, you know, we talk about Miami starting true freshmen on the O-line. Virginia Tech's doing that as well. Their right guard is a true freshman, Doug Nestor, and their center, Brian Hudson, is a true freshman. So um, I think that's going to show up on the third down pass rushing situations uh, where Greg Rousseau 
you know, is definitely going to line up against those guys on the inside. I think, too, Miami will send stunts their way and blitzes through the A and B gaps. And so I think it'll be interesting to see how those young guys stand up in those third down pass rushing situations. So I think because, you know, we alluded to we both expect Miami to stop the run plenty, uh, stop the run well against Virginia Tech. And if that happens, the Hokies will be in third down, obvious passing situations. So I think there is an opportunity for Miami's defensive line to get a lot of pressure and get a lot of sacks. Does Greg Russo start this week? No, but I think we see him play even more snaps. So I think last last game he had about 30 to 35 snaps. I think that number will be closer to 40 this week. Does Manny Diaz... Uh, send Trayvon Hill out there as team captain? See, that's what I... To me, that's that's an interesting question. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, and I also wouldn't be surprised... I'm not saying I know anything or I'm hinting at anything, but I wouldn't be surprised if he starts. Like, I, I think that would be a cool energy-type thing to give the team a lift. You know, have, have Trayvon Hill go out in that first series. No, that's... I didn't even think about it like that. I mean, I, I've, I've seen some of these schools, you know, use grad transfers or guys who transferred out and, and throw them out there as a captain or anything like that. But I do think that would certainly light a fire on that sideline and in that defensive huddle. And we've talked about Miami needs to come out and start hot. Um, yeah. And I think that's one way to do it, getting him out there, because, you know, he's going to go 110 percent from that first whistle. Yeah. So I wouldn't, you know. And I don't think necessarily it should be viewed like I would assume he'll he'll if he does start, it would be for Scott Patchen. I wouldn't look at it as a benching. I still think Scott Patchen will play plenty. Um, I don't think he'll play as much, to be honest, as we saw in the first three or four games. Uh, but he'll still be a key rotational player. Let's move on to uh, the key to the game. What's your key to the game for Miami? For me, uh, it's establishing the run game in early. I think Miami in that Central Michigan game, they they abandoned the run game. Um, they kind of just, I don't know, punted on it. Uh, I don't know why. Just kind of were doing different things. I think they need to, to get that run game going. Uh, they got to get DJ Dallas the ball. They got to get Cam Harris involved and, and just kind of take some pressure uh, off that off that passing attack. And not necessarily take pressure off Jaron Williams, but just make it where a play action is going to give you a little bit more time instead of when you play action. Uh, everyone's crashing right in uh, on that pocket. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I think I'll keep mine short and sweet. I, I want to see Jaron get the ball out quick, and I want to see him primarily working out of the gun. I think, you know, that's when he's most comfortable, you know, working the read option game. Um, so, yeah, I just like more of a North Carolina type of game plan um, than Central Michigan type of game plan. Do you think we see more of that of that shotgun stuff? I know that was the big debate last week. Um, is that going to be the shift moving forward, or um, you don't have a big enough sample size with Dan Enos to really know? Yeah, I mean, Enos said he's not going to get away from working the under center. Um, but I guess we'll see. I would expect there to be less of it. But uh, Enos said he still wants it to be a big part of the offense. So we'll see. Talk uh, some potential players for the game. That's um, we already talked about, I guess, basically both of mine. Uh, I think 
when we're looking at guys who could have breakout games for Miami, I think Trayvon Hill is absolutely uh, one of them. He's come on as, as of late. Um, and, and on offense, I think DJ Dallas. I just think, <coughs> excuse me, I think if they're going to get this thing going, they got to get him going. And uh, I, so I think those are two um, that I'm, I'm expecting to have pretty big games. So I'll go on offense. I'll go with Brevin Jordan. Um <coughs> Because Virginia Tech has not, they've not defended the tight end well this year. Um, both Boston College and Duke's tight ends have had their best games of the season against Virginia Tech. Duke, last week, Duke's tight end Noah Gray had over 50 yards and two touchdowns. So I think that bodes well for Brevin Jordan. I think he could have a you know very productive game. On defense, I, I guess I kind of hinted at it earlier too. I, I'll go with Greg Rousseau. Um, I think he's a guy who's still just scratching the surface of his potential. Blake Baker said he's probably going to get even more snaps this week. So I think more snaps equals more production with Greg Rousseau. So I'll go with him. Moving on, moving on, moving on. Uh, Miami wins the game if. Uh, just kind of your thought on, on that. For me, I think Miami wins the game if they, they showed up prepared uh, not flat and uh, with a solid game plan. I just think I don't think very Virginia Tech's um, very talented. I think if Miami's able to get uh, some uh, jump out to a quick lead, uh, get some scores early, I think that there's a good chance Virginia Tech's just going to kind of fold. I mean, they're coming off their worst home loss and what was it, 45 years, 45 years to the to Duke. Um, it seems like Fuente is his seat is getting pretty hot. I think he's lost 12 of his last 22 games there. I just think that there's not a lot of guys in that locker room that are, are really bought into Virginia Tech right now. Yeah, and I'll go with um, Miami wins the game if the offense doesn't turn the ball over. So I think if Miami comes out and plays mistake-free, they should easily win this game because, as you said, Virginia Tech just isn't a good team right now in many aspects. So if Miami does turn the ball over, makes the game easier for Virginia Tech, allows them to hang around, then yeah, I mean, things are going to get dicey. Um, but I think if Miami wins the turnover battle or doesn't turn the ball over, period, this should be a fairly comfortable win. Ooh, I feel like you're kind of like hinting that like Jaron Williams' bad game, freshman game could be... Well, I think it'll be interesting. Like, Bud Foster is a good defensive coordinator, and he has four games of film on Jaron Williams to put together something. And it's, I am interested to see how Williams performs uh, through that lens, because I think if there's anyone that can put together a defensive system that will give Williams some issues, it's Bud Foster. So we'll see. I, I kind of agree. I mean, we have not. Still hasn't thrown a pick, and right. uh, I mean we're getting closer and closer. But I mean Jaron really hasn't had that bad game. I mean I know the offensive line's been bad, um, but there hasn't been a game where he's just been off. Um, and uh, right. odds would say that one of those is coming. And like I said, I, I expect Bud to to blitz him in uh, all kinds of different ways. Right, and you know, it's not because Virginia Tech's super talented. It's not like their their secondary has not played well this year. Their pass rut, their D-line is not overly impressive. It would be, as you alluded to, simply Bud Foster giving Jaron some looks that confuse him. 
and him, you know, making mistakes, which we really haven't seen much of. Like, he's thrown some balls that have been in the hands of defenders that they couldn't come down with. But uh, for the most part, Jaron has done a good job of protecting the ball. If that doesn't happen this week, then, yeah, things could get interesting. All right, let's go score prediction. What do you got? Uh, for me, I, I got Miami 24, Virginia Tech 9. I, I said it earlier a few minutes ago. I just do not understand or see Virginia Tech being able to score many points. On the flip side, it's really hard to uh, project Miami to put up a bunch of points. I mean, yeah, we saw them boat race Bethune-Cookman this season, but this offense still um, hasn't been... I, I don't know, firing on all cylinders. I mean, they, they don't seem to have an issue moving the ball, but it seems like getting touchdowns on a consistent basis has been a bit of a struggle. Um, I mean, I, I think like 24 points, I, I would hope they're they're able to score more of that. But, I mean, you're not going to get me projecting them in the 30s until I kind of see it on the field. At the end of the day, I mean, Miami, I think I looked it up. They have, uh, if you look at power five offensive linemen that have played a, a minimum of 100 snaps this season, Miami has two of the of the worst ones in the country. John Campbell is is the second worst offensive lineman at the Power Five level, and Zion and Nelson is thirteenth. So, um, and until the until that 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 line improves, it's hard for me to just be like, oh, Miami's going to score forty. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm going to go Miami thirty-five, Virginia Tech twenty. Um, and it's more so like I agree, like the offense hasn't looked great, but I do think. I do think they're going to have a bounce back of some sorts uh, this week against Virginia Tech, partially because I think the Central Michigan game woke them up and partially because Virginia Tech isn't that good. To me, Virginia Tech looks like a team that has given up on their coach, to be quite frank, and that's, a, that's always a really bad situation on the college level. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech is a poor tackling team this year. Uh, their coverage on the back end is, is out of sorts at times. And we've talked about their, their defensive line just is not overly impressive. So Virginia Tech, too, I, I think I read a stat where they're 1-7 in their last eight ACC games. So, Well, Miami's 2-7 <laughs> in their last nine Power 5 games. So let's... Fair. Fair. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Virginia Tech is not a good team. I think Miami is better when they're playing at Hard Rock Stadium. And I think I think this game should be fairly comfortable. Would I what is the betting line at now? Would I bet Miami to cover the spread? No, because I don't trust them, but I am predicting them to win 35-20. Keep keep talking while I look up the most up up to date line cuz I I think I think I saw it at like 14 and a half this morning, but I don't know if that's uh, yeah. the most so to accurate. Me, to me, the most interesting thing about Virginia Tech with the Justin Fuente era is how each year it's progressively got worse. So I think their first, his first year there, which was Mark Rick's first year, they won 10 games. I think the next year it was nine or eight, and then last year it was six. And, you know, I think this year Virginia Tech is going to be in a battle to become bowl, bowl eligible. And I think if they don't win this week, against Miami, I think it's it's a real possibility that Virginia Tech is not bowl eligible, which I think now that after Florida State didn't 
get to a bowl game last year. I think Virginia Tech has the longest current bowl streak. So that's going to be a big deal for them. All right. So I just look Vegas insider consensus as of uh, lunchtime on Thursday is 14 points. Over under is 47. I like the under in that for sure. Yeah. I, I'm... I think that's fair. I mean, both offenses are struggling. And I don't know if I would touch the 14 points. I mean, that thing keeps rising, right? What is yeah, it, open it opened eight, eight and a half or something like that. So, I mean, I don't trust either team, to be quite frankly, quite frank with you. But I do, like, I am predicting a comfortable Miami win. Would I bet it? Would I put my own money on it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you. All right. Anything else you want to touch on here real quick before we wrap it up? No, just, you know, visit the site, InsideTheU.com, and, and we'll have plenty of stuff leading up to the game. And, you know, this 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 game is big in terms of getting positive momentum going. So will Miami be able to do it? I think we'll all find out Saturday and just hope for the best. Yeah, it's going to be a crazy, um, really, six days after that because Miami plays right. Virginia next Friday night. So um, we're going to know a lot about Miami here pretty soon. But, yes. Stay locked to Miami.247sports.com, InsideTheU.com. We will have plenty of content coming out of this game. Uh, Miami expecting some recruits to be in the stands. The the two kids we mentioned earlier on the podcast, Jalen Rivers and uh, Chance Williams, will both be on hand. I'm sure I'll confirm plenty more visitors. Um, but that's going to do it for today's podcast. We will talk to you guys later. Take care.